Welcome to the Orange Silicon Valley Bistro Cast, the podcast about what's new, what's next, and what matters in the world of tech. I'm Brian Warmoth, the content lead at Orange Silicon Valley. And today I am happy for a few reasons. One, because we are coming back to you for the first time in 2021. This is, as it happens, our first virtually recorded Orange Silicon Valley BistroCast episode that we're doing remotely um, because that's the way we've been working for the past year, as, as many of you listening to this podcast undoubtedly have been doing as well. Today, I am welcoming Will Barkas back to the BistroCast. You may remember Will previously from his appearance on the BistroCast to discuss smart cities technology. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing uh, smart ecosystems technology with him as well. Uh, Will Barkas is a principal here at Orange Silicon Valley, and he is putting together a wonderful event coming up uh, that will be our second Hello Wednesday virtual event on Wednesday, April 7th. I hope all of you will visit orangesb.com and look for more information on how to join that event virtually and listen to the wonderful programming that we'll have on display there. Uh, so without further ado, Will, welcome to the podcast. Again, you're our first uh, returning guest. Uh, so I, I want to make sure and flag that honor uh, that you should Thanks, receive. <laughs> I'm excited. This is going to be fun. Um, yeah, so uh, good, good to join you, and thanks to everyone for listening. Yeah. Well, let me ask you right now: how's how's everything in the city where you're at? Because I know you're in you're in San Francisco proper, and I'm outside of San Francisco, out in the suburbs. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's going. Life's still going on. I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think there've been a lot of uh, good things and bad things about this last year, which have been very challenging. Um, you know, on, actually, on, on personal level, my wife. <laughs> works in the COVID positive ICU unit. She's a doctor. And so, uh, she got vaccinated, you know, a couple months ago now, I guess. And, uh, it's wonderful. And so, yeah, like life is, life is feeling a lot better, uh, and, and hope more hopeful. Maybe we could start off just by contextualizing your field in the year 2021. Uh, this year versus maybe a year ago, a year plus ago, say flashback to the beginning of 2020, uh, what does the concept of smart cities mean to you in 2021? And how does how is that term related to the term smart ecosystems, which is something we've been using uh, more and more around the office lately? Yeah, I think um, this is like the hard question that you always get when you talk about quote unquote smart cities. Like, what, what does that even mean? Um, I mean, it's been the case since the beginning, and I think it'll continue to be the case for, for years ahead. Um, but I, I actually like the definition <clears throat> that the uh, former mayor of San Francisco, Ed Lee, had put forward when he was chair of a of the U.S. Conference of Mayors Committee on Technology Innovation. Uh, he'd said that smart cities are locally defined, um, and they have common features, of course, including resident-centric services, a focus on problems that are based on community needs and priorities. They're also data-driven. Um, and they're about, you know, technology like sensor, sensors and connectivity. Um, so I think now we're still, we're, you know, I think this emphasis on locally defined is still is still there. But I would say, mm -hmm. you know, there are kind of key priorities in 2021 that many cities in the U.S. are facing. Um, you know, the top four are COVID, the economy and jobs, equity, uh, you know, very broadly, but including racial justice. And, you know, and I think. I mean, actually, I think the most relevant data point for this whole conversation is, is a data point from the National League of Cities. They had a survey where they got they collected more than 900 responses from U.S. cities. Uh, so pretty good sample. And the mm -hmm. key takeaway was that the average U.S. city had a 21 percent reduction in revenue, 
So loss of tax revenue at the same time had a 17% increase in costs, you know, related to, of course, increased pandemic costs. I do some advising with um, the city and county of San Francisco and have for a number of years as a a technology advisor. And I won't name any particular departments, but, um, you know, the conversation has basically been at some level, like, how do we not lay people off while we Mm -hmm. still provide the services we, the, the the community needs. And it's, Mm -hmm. I'm sure other cities are facing that challenge. I mean, that data point, right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. So I think if we're smart cities in 2021, if you're not addressing those four priorities of COVID economy, equity, climate, then you're probably, you know, not hitting the major market for, for smart cities, products and services this year and for a little while. Um, Mm -hmm. And you asked about smart ecosystems, how that relates to smart cities. It's, you know, first of all, I think you could just think of it as smart cities, a different, you know, rebranding of, of smart cities plus smart venues, uh, airports, stadiums, campuses, districts, uh, as you know, down to the level of smart buildings. Um, but I think actually that term ecosystems, which is kind of, uh, kind of confusing because it's a metaphor kind of used in many contexts, but in this case, it's a good, it's a good sort of approximation for this idea of scale, right? Like smart cities is not just about cities. It's about, it's about regions or it's about districts. It's about smaller, smaller areas as well. Um, and I think there's also something to this idea of smart ecosystems. And, and this is not a widely term used term of art. The kinds of services we're talking about are so broad and so, so wide, you know, ranging from energy to water, to mobility, to health and education and, and some, you know, kind of it, all these sort of new technologies in the context of cities and communities. And, um, to, to provide those services, we need an ecosystem approach of bringing a lot of different innovators and service providers uh, together. So it, it's a little bit of those, both of those ideas of the ecosystem. Yeah, this, this makes sense. I mean, I, I think I was saying this to you earlier. When I mean, when I hear smart cities, let's say, I, I think of you know, municipal governments and contracts that are being given out or departments within that city and how those work together to serve city level needs that cities are controlling. Whereas when I hear smart ecosystems, I think of uh, a scalable set of implementations that might be in, you know, a quasi-public area or that may or may not work in tandem with something the city is doing, or it might just be, you know, I say, I don't know, maybe you could say like a private school or for instance, something that has a campus of some kind that has a community oper- like living and doing things within it. Uh, whereas the smart city thing generally tends to mean an implementation associated with, with a city. So I, I think of them as two, two definitions that are uh, maybe overlapped a bit and that have uh, things within in themselves that, that work together. Uh, is that accurate yeah, no, in terms of the way you think of it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, and I think smart cities has tried to be that. I mean, it's not, you know, it's often it's smart cities and communities or, you know, there's always kind of a, a plus to it or something, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, um, and also, you see the use of word "smart," smart agriculture, or smart, 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 smart buildings. We're, we're still smart. using all these years later. It hasn't the, the yeah. smart smart still there. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe uh, could could we talk about where technology has come in the past year? Like, do you have assumptions or expectations uh, that existed at the beginning of 2020 that you feel more or less confident about a year later when you talk about smart cities or smart ecosystems? You haven't had your assumptions and expectations about the world challenged in this last year. Then I don't know um, what what lived experience you've had before this. <laughs> uh, That's the truth. 
we're going to see a lot of city level, community level changes uh, related. You know, let's start with human behavior and the kind of questions I was just talking about, about how we want to live in our cities and communities as we, you know, kind of burst back out of this socially distant life we've been living. And I think, you know, many cities opened up outdoor dining areas um, or, or, you know, car parking was taken away to provide more boulevard space, like for restaurants and bars and, and to allow more physically distant walking. Um, there's been a whole safe streets movement that has taken off, closing off some streets within a neighborhood, you know, not to allow through through traffic. Um, but cars can still come in generally. Of course. <clears throat> you know, if you live. And, you know, and there was a bit of bicycle explosion in terms of the number of bicycles purchased. I just saw that Germany, in Germany, they public, they bought more electric bikes than, than the entire EU bought electric cars. Uh, yeah, and I think people people have had a hard time buying bikes because they're they're out of stock. I remember but, those headlines earlier on in the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they and those things kind of work together, right? The the need to get outside and, and sort of still feel connected to your community and to be healthy, and then you've got these safe streets where it's actually feels great to bike now because it's not you're not going to get run over. Um, so yeah, I think that hopefully some of these things stick around. Um, and I, I think many of them will. So we'll we'll see what snaps back, right? Um, so I think it's going to be. Then that's the million dollar question: like, what behaviors revert back to the norm, but the pre-pandemic norm, and what what behaviors stick around? Uh, so if and if I had the answer to that, I'd, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd probably just go invest in the stock market. Um, <laughs> of course, but, the, but I think like in terms of um, you know assumptions around smart cities first. Well, you know, I'll say it again. You know, kind of the uh, it's it's COVID and the economy is stupid. You know, referencing that old uh, it's the economy stupid uh, yeah. expression. But, but if well, so so products and services, digital products and services, and information and communication technology is now considered essential. It, it, before, mm-hmm. you know, it always felt a bit of like, no, no, this is really essential. Broadband, right? Communication is now essential service. After the pandemic, like if anyone wants to say like, what, what, why do we need 5G or why do we need connectivity and code, right? One word. And I think, so I think ICT, information communication technology has moved into a category of must have, you know, not nice to have. And, um, you know, c- cities have been in the process of becoming these grand, big cyber physical systems uh, for quite a while, but that, that accelerated, you know, in 2020. I think also a second maybe point uh, so, so the, that first point, which was, you know, ICT is, is essential, not, not. A, and then the second point of this last year that maybe is an assumption um, that was accelerated or, or I think reaffirmed for me, but, it, but even more so is that technology innovation is continuing to, to accelerate. And, you know, certainly Silicon Valley didn't slow down in terms of, you know, the number of startups founded or investment in startups. In fact, I think uh, um, joint venture Silicon Valley just had their state of the Valley conference and, and the data point. There was that, or one of the data points that I took away was, um, this is the second highest year in venture capital funding in the history of Silicon Valley. And if you think about market capitalization and then the sort of the, the tr- several trillion dollars of value added to the market capitalization of these you know, largely Silicon Valley tech companies, it's, it's insane. Um, at the same time, these, you know, I can point, just throw a few, through a few data points out in terms of specific advances we've seen. I mean, so OpenAI, uh, released this uh, GPT-3 language model with uh, 175 billion parameters. And um, basically people were worried that they didn't want to release it at first. In fact, they said they weren't. And then they decided to uh, was they generate text that's so high quality. It's like, it's very difficult to actually distinguish that text from that written by a human. You've also got widespread deployment of um, low power, wide area network kind of technology for, for Internet of Things devices that, that 
where energy usage is a bigger deal and you want, you know, very little data, but like that's becoming more and widespread. So it's, it's kind of just like the part the march of progress, technological progress moves on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and along those lines, and maybe this is, this is where, where we start talking about the singularity <laughs> is, <laughs> is, you know, to get your head around just what these technologies mean, I think yeah. for humanity, like Google, most of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes, but Google CEO Sundar Pichai had said this last year at the World Economic Forum that AI is one of the most profound things we are working on as humanity. It's it's more profound than fire or electricity, right? So, yeah, think about the impact of fire on human beings and human society, right? Or or electricity. He's saying AI, and this is you know this is the CEO of Google sure. saying this, AI is is on par with that, right? And I, and we're really at the dawn of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, 100%. you know, as amazing as the, this whole... And on a side note, I just want to say I'm glad yeah. we did not hit the singularity while we were in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not, not to knock on wood, but yeah. <laughs> no, that's, 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 yeah, no, it's true. That's true. And and, and to allay fears, I, I actually just covered the, um, the Neural Information Processing Systems Conference, um, which is the preeminent AI machine learning conference, academic conference in the, in the world. And, you know, among among numerous kind of key takeaways was these systems are smart, but they're not that smart, right? They're, yeah. they're very good at specific intelligence tasks, but no one, and we're nowhere near creating general AI and the stuff yeah. that's going to like launch the nuclear weapons yeah. against ourselves. Yeah, I mean, to, to, to go off of what you, what you said earlier, you know, it, the AI written articles uh, products are something I've, I've watched closely for most of my career because you know it's a, it's an existential threat obviously to people who yeah. write and edit things and I you know I still think they're very good at finding like numbers and constructing stories out of numbers and sort of templated ways of analyzing things but you, you never get the they still don't have the nuance of a human being able to do analysis and overlap you know trends from different places and know where to compare and make comparisons and then you know formalize those assessments in in human language that that people can understand you know you, you i always feel like i'm almost reading things through a layer that i have to like untranslate and translate back to be like okay i know how this this you know artificial writer created this piece and it's it's about as use it's maybe about as useful as just getting an excel spreadsheet of things to be able to compare maybe a little bit more useful in some cases so i I do like yeah so like you know seeing when with earnings reports sometimes like you can get maybe a better summary of of a company's earnings than spending the time reading over the full uh you know announcement that they they release with it but yeah, that's that's kind of where I stand with this. <laughs> well, and and um, this is difficult because these are you know this is certainly one of those sort of exponential technologies, right? And we're we're nowhere near the second half of the chessboard yet. But mm-hmm. if you step back and think about it, um, intelligence is, is is probably intelligence, right? Quote unquote, it is likely the most important or most valuable kind of tool set human beings have ever created so far. And, and then like through through the process of our evolution and becoming, you know, having these brains we have, right? Think, you know, enables problem solving, pattern recognition, communication, collaboration, prediction. Right? Uh, these are valuable things. And that's why I think human right. beings is like that we've taken over the earth kind of, um, you know, shows the value of that in terms of survival. But um, I really think that I, and I, and I, like, I think that externalizing intelligence and like being able to sort of use it in collaboration with our own intelligence, right? Not, not taking humans out of the loop, but co-robotics, co-AI, these, yeah. 
the near future, right? Externalizing intelligence and using intelligence and using in collaboration with our own intelligence is probably going to be the greatest problem solving tool human beings ever create. Period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and these these are all reasons why we're looking at things like the AI city concept and what and what AI means for products and services in this in the city context. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, what you're talking uh, about is creating a world where people are able to work better, not necessarily where robots are doing all of the work and people are not, you know, people are, you know, secondary concerns to tasks getting done. Uh, right. So I, I think that's, that's a good way to, to frame it. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know the latest on this, but for, a, a, I think this is still true, but for a while after, you know, AI systems had beat humans playing chess, mm-hmm. there was a, a, the, the new sort of best scenario was actually, pretty good humans playing in combination with AIs mm-hmm. were able to beat either grandmaster humans or the That's AI systems. Like basically, yeah. yeah, the chimera systems where, mm-hmm. you know, people are pretty smart at using tools. Mm-hmm. And so once you've, you've realized you've got this new tool, um, you, you know, you sort of mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> take it to the next level. So I'm not too worried for human beings, uh, at least in the next <laughs> well, it's, hundred years. Well, let me, I, I want to move, move along to the next point because I, I think you're doing yeah, a good job yeah. of kind of summarizing the, the state of the technology, but um, how would you characterize the, the challenges that cities are facing right now uh, a year later versus the beginning of 2020? Uh, you got into this a little bit, but yeah. I wonder if you could explore that. Like what yeah, the, no, the concerns are and where the problems are at that are trying to be solved. Totally. I, I think just... To emphasize that data point of like the National League of Cities survey, you know, your cities, good sample, 21% revenue reduction in right. revenue and 17% increase in costs. So this, you know, this challenge has been to how do you provide services yeah. with budget shortfalls? And, yeah, that and that's, that's something that was not existing on the scale that it exists on. Yeah, and I, not, yeah totally. I mean, I used to I used to make this point, though, that and I liked the quote from Peter Ams, mm-hmm. who's the CIO of, of the city of Albuquerque, who'd said, like, the key goal of information technology is to keep the city in good financial condition mm-hmm. through prudent management assets and liabilities mm-hmm. kind of ho-hum but that's i think that was true before the pandemic yeah. i mean cities have never had tons of excess money lying around to try out new experimental emerging technologies <laughs> you know they need, they need to fix the potholes <laughs> so i think that the pandemic has, has forced that to it like turn it up to 11 mm-hmm. you know um but i also think uh, optimistically, and this is this is probably the key takeaway. If I had any key takeaway for people around smart cities for the and smart ecosystems, you know, for the near future, is that there has been a massive digital transformation for cities just to keep functioning, and for organizations, mm-hmm. you know, businesses, schools, libraries of all kinds to digitally transform just to keep functioning, and for us as individuals and residents of our communities to digitally transform just to keep functioning. Right? Of course, that combination of digitally transformed government, business. And an individual is a is a new platform for smart cities products and services that I think is going to lay the foundation for just all kinds of new things we don't even know about or or you know that are here and also going back to the older older ideas that have been around you know big data cloud computing you know move the move to DevOps and and or no ops um, uh, the like I don't know just basic technologies around data analytics like the, these. Things now, you know, software as a service, mm-hmm. business models. Of course, these things can function in a world digitally transformed society, essentially. So, I think that's the new springboard for smart city stuff, in my opinion. Um, is, is that that digital transformation that everyone's been forced mm-hmm. to undergo? Well, let's. Um, in, in looking at these issues, I, I know you, you, this was this was one of your your uh, your your points earlier on. I think, especially in regard to 
equity and, and racial justice, but it has implications in the in the other categories as well. H- how would you characterize the uh, the ethical questions that these challenges present to cities as they figure out what technologies to use, how to use them in the right ways, how to solve the right problems? Uh, there, there's no simple answer to this, but I wonder if you could maybe characterize the layers that inform uh, these decisions right now. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, it's hugely important. And, and I think there are many, many different dimensions of this. Well, so maybe I'll start with the example of um, the Neural Information Processing Systems Conference, which I, I mentioned I covered, sure. you know, preeminent AI machine learning conference. So one of the th- main themes that came up, you know, session after session was how to embed ethics within every aspect of, of not just deployment, but research and development. Um, and of course, there's so many dimensions around this, right, in terms of ethically creating and using technology. And part of that is because tools are created by people and communities, right? Human beings create create these technologies and apply them to the world. Um, so that creates a lot of challenges. And one of the, the, the tactical ways that the conference organizers chose to address it was that they won, they required everyone who submitted a paper or talk to include an ethics statement that articulated the positive and negative uses of that knowledge that they were presenting for the first time. And they also had reviewers, asked reviewers to flag anything that was ethically questionable for further review. And they created an ethics review panel to do, to, to then provide a third, you know, another level of peer review. Um, so that's, there are ways we can address these things. And, and I think um, there's also clearly ethical issues around like the who creates technology, right? And who, who puts it to use. And, and who runs our companies and who provides our services and products, right? And so I think diversity, you know, diversity, inclusion, and equity has become a big set of topics for companies and communities, especially as you talk about cities. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of inequality at, at, in, in various dimensions. Again, this is why it's hard to talk about ethics in a, in a short time slot. This should be a, you know, the, whole, the whole conversation. In and outside of technology, uh, it is difficult to summarize ethics and uh, yeah. tweet. Yeah, lengths of language. Yeah, and the, and the last maybe the last point I'll think, make on the ethics dimension is that we can use data to help us address ethical use of technology. And part of that is, you know, I actually mentioned my wife earlier. I'll mention her one more time. She's leading the state of California's data modeling mm-hmm. unit for the COVID response. Um, in addition to being in the ICU, it's no small challenge. And <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> and the, one of the things they did was they developed a health equity metric that they used to make sure that COVID testing was being done fairly in communities so that, you know, simplify, but more or less like the bottom quartile of the community was being tested in, you know, in terms of socioeconomic status, uh, was being tested at a rate, a similar, you know, fair rate compared to the top quartile of a given community. And then using that metric with that metric then fed directly into how cities can move from one tier of lockdown sort of red, orange, yellow, green kind of tiers. And that means, and their ability to reopen businesses, organizations, and schools, right? So that means that the metrics taken seriously, and they, these these you know locations are actually putting resources into making sure they're actually getting the testing out and done fairly, and they're going to do the same thing, or they're developing similar approaches for vaccination. Uh, so basically, I mean, data, data can be a huge force for fairness, you know, if it's applied correctly. Yeah. Well particularly when it comes to the data collection and, and the way it's being stored, I, that's a whole other dimension on this. You know, the, the AI and the use of it is one one level, but um, when it comes to just what data is being collected and how it's being stored, what, do you th- what are the questions you think need to be asked right now as these solutions are being implemented and conceived? Yeah, 
No, it's, and this is also huge. And I think we'll cover a lot of it in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really excited to have Joy Bonaguro, who's the chief data officer for the state of California. Um, yeah, this is a good opportunity for- to flag that this will be part of what we're discussing on the, oh, yeah. in the Hello Wednesday event on April, April 7th. <laughs> Yeah, so Joy, so Joy Bonagero, uh, chief, chief data officer for the state of California, also former chief data officer for the city and county of San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, and also had a private great like stint in the private sector with uh, started cybersecurity startup called uh, Correlate. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be really great to talk with her about this. But I think, in my opinion, okay, so several several priorities. Number one, you know, how do we design our systems and the and our policies and cultures? To get the balance right between the high quality user experience, you know, making making people's lives easier, safer, more convenient, while at the same time respecting their privacy, you know, and the expectations they have around the use of their data. That's this is not a new a new balancing act. This is this is uh, like this is the whole thing, right? This has been around forever, and it will continue to be around. Um, so that's number one, I think. Number two. How do we make sure that these products and services, especially in, in the context of cities and communities, are deployed fairly, right, equitably? These, as these, especially as these things are becoming more and more essential. Mm-hmm. We talked about, you know, like we're talking about essential services for how we learn and how we work and how we play and how we stay connected to our family and friends. I mean, this is important stuff mm-hmm. to be done in an equitable way. Um, then I think you start to look at the tactical, practical aspects. Like, how do we do? How do we do this? How do we get the most out of our data? most benefit of our data while minimizing the negatives. And some of it can be about governance. How do we use, you know, governance models such as data trusts, which are an interesting idea that, that I've, uh, that came up with sidewalk labs in Toronto, for instance, the civic data. Could, trust could you maybe explain what, the, what that idea is? Yeah. So, and actually the MIT technology review just had an interesting piece <laughs> in this issue, um, on them, but, um, basically you create a new organization, a third party organization that is, that is, Governed somehow through through you know who, so who who's on the governance board and how it works is is a is a big mm-hmm. deal the devil, the devil's in the details right. there but you basically create this third party that is responsible the way that you know you have fiduciaries who are charged with looking out for the good of the people uh, who, who who they are who are there on their trust for other assets you have so you have these essentially fiduciaries that are responsible for making sure that the data is used responsibly that the most you get the most value out of the data that it's fairly um it's worked with fairly say like in the case of toronto you know it wasn't just like sidewalk labs collecting all of this data and then using it to make better services and providing great a great community let's say that's great but if they're the only ones that benefit it really risks um creating you know monopolistic market situation creating other challenges especially in the city and we'll talk you know you can't really opt out of your city not very Stop. easily. <laughs> she moves, so public data somewhere else, I guess, yeah. or, yeah, or so elect like, somebody that privacy. makes new laws that changes something, and that's a long process. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And so, uh, so, so the data trust back to this, you know, data trust idea. I think you, you, is, is an attempt to create a, a dispassionate, you know, entity that's good, that's there to look out for your data and look out for the people's data who 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 it, who it holds. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, that might mean trying to trying to get value out of it, right? Like data is only valuable if it's used. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a actually a data point that I thought worth sharing that um, Forrester had recently: like sixty to seventy three percent of data that they did a survey it, it, within companies is not analyzed at all for in, for insights. Um, this, talk about this rot, yes. redundant, obsolete, trivial wow. data, right? And um, and a, another report, a related report from Veritas, Veritas saying that 
collectively $3.3 trillion of opportunity cost is lost for businesses this last year alone in 2020 from not using data. Mm-hmm. Um, Every time you have, there's a lot of raises the question of why were you collecting it in the first place? If it wasn't actionable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, so then I guess, so figuring out how to do, you know, data trusts or, or using other technologies, even like, so or different data infrastructures that might be privacy, you know, private by design, or there's a whole, you know, all these areas of, of doing, using algorithms that, that don't need to know that they can, they can do computation on encrypted data. It's called homomorphic encryption. And they're very, they're like mathematically proven as private potentially, right? Like you don't know what the data was, but you could do a calculation on it and get the answer. Uh, or insight. So things like that, I think, are really important to to work out still. Um, and finally, I think in the city context, especially, like, are there standards and framework frameworks where we can create more scalable deployment of smart cities or Internet of Things type technologies? Because, you know, as they say, all politics is local and it feels a little bit like every city has its own operating system. Mm-hmm. So how do you build, uh, you know, abstraction layers that allow kind of, quote unquote, you know, create common operating system for cities? And people are trying to work mm-hmm. on this and it's not a new idea, but it's difficult. Sure. Um, Which challenges do you expect to be around and still be most prominent as we exit the pandemic? I wish I had that Vince Lombardi quote about predicting the future. Mm-hmm. What is it like predicting the future is difficult? Uh, no, what is making predictions is difficult, especially about the future. As a Packer I fan, I love a good it, Lombardi quote, so I appreciate that. Yeah. No, I think I actually like the a quote from William Gibson, you know, science, noted science fiction writer, uh, who famously said that the future is here; it's just une- unevenly distributed. And I think that's especially true when you think about the meaningful use of technology in cities. And I think I'll go back to my main my main key takeaways here. So, number one, it's it's COVID and the economy, stupid, right? It's from so from now until this pandemic is truly over and, and COVID drops to kind of a background in, endemic level. Certainly in the U.S., at least, cities are going to be focusing on the on the four key priorities of COVID, economy and the jobs, and jobs, equity, and climate. Um, and so I think innovation that addresses those problems is going to be really prioritized over, say, like advanced or emerging kind of experimental mm-hmm. use cases. Um, and that the new force shaping where smart cities and and Product, products and services are going is that is this new digitally transformed government plus digitally transformed organizations plus digitally transformed residents individuals so the radical acceleration of digital transformation that took past this took, took place this past year is now going to be a platform for like many new digital services in cities and and i think again this is not going to look super, super like new robotics, AI, uh, sidewalk robots delivering things that that actually is exploding. But, you know, it's going to look like the trends we've seen in big data and cloud computing and containerization, you know, uh, DevOps, NoOps, I mentioned um, other kind of technology areas that have been changing cities and organizations for years and are going to continue changing cities and organizations for years. Data is probably the core of all of this stuff. I mean, in, in some sense, a smart city is a data-driven city, evidence-driven city. Um, so I think that there's no question that data is going to play an increasingly essential role in future cities. I, I think that's a great place to end on. And as you were getting up at, at the time here, well, but, but let's put a pin in that because I, I think the role of data in all of this is a great great note to leave on since that's what we'll be discussing so let me just once again invite everybody please please join us on on april 7th uh wednesday april 7th 
uh, for our next Hello Wednesday event, where we'll be discussing uh, data and its role in the future of cities. And Will will be there, I will be there, and and all of our wonderful guests who you can read about on orangesv.com will be there. So visit orangesv.com and take a look at how you can register and join us. Uh, In the meantime, also, please feel free to follow Orange Silicon Valley on Twitter and on LinkedIn, uh, where we are every week. And thank you again to Will for joining me today. It was a pleasure to have you, and I I really enjoyed talking about all of these subjects. Yeah, that was fun. I think we need an hour. Uh, maybe next time. You're worried we wouldn't wouldn't be able to make it. Uh, but well, we yeah, yeah. And let me say, I don't, <laughs> totally. Um, and let me add. And I don't know if you, if, if we're over it's time, fine. but you need to cut this. But uh, I think this conversation on, on the Hello Wednesday on April seventh uh, is going to be super interesting. We're going to be so. It's, I'm going to give about a 25 minute, you know, very broad, but also hopefully very deep kind of overview of of uh, smart ecosystems with respect to especially data, kind of in the future mm-hmm. of, of cities. And then we're going to have a 45-minute panel, um, open conversation with Joy Bonaguro, I mentioned Chief Data Officer for State of California, Julie Line, who's a, a venture capitalist. She's a co-founder and managing partner at Urban Innovation mm-hmm. Fund. Uh, so she's going to bring a VC perspective, kind of private sector perspective. And then a, a startup co-founder and CEO, Joe, Joe DiStefano, who's um, co-founder and CEO of Urban Footprint, which Fast Company recently called one of the world's most innovative mm-hmm. companies. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about these issues. We're going to talk about other issues. Um, I, I'm sure we'll take some questions from the audience, perhaps. So, we better. you know, be great for, for listeners out there to join us uh, Wednesday, April yeah, 7th. The, the last one was a really good, we, we had a really great success with the first one that was uh, about data privacy. And I think this is a great follow-up to that conversation uh, in the context of technology in cities. So, yes, please join us. Join Will, join me, join all of these wonderful guests that we're going to have. It's going to be a great conversation. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. Thanks, Thank Brian. you, Will. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.